0: Good morning, family. Thank you for being back with us again for another guided gathering. And we're so grateful to worship together and hear good news about retreats and things where we get to come back together eventually. And we're looking forward to what God has in store. I wanna remind you and start out today by just reminding you that we don't fight against flesh and blood. We are at war with an enemy that would love to divide us. And so this morning, we're gonna be in Philippians 2. We're gonna talk about being humble and really humility and finding unity in humility. But before we do that, I just could not help but think back to a great author and really philosopher and theologian, C.S. Lewis. And he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, where he looked at how his tempter would have acted towards him and how the tempter would have tried to influence him. And so this morning, I want to help you think in maybe a way that you're not used to as we start out, but what would the devil want us to be doing right now? What would the devil find joy in and pride in as he looks at our country and us as people and us as a church? And so I'm not the devil and you're not the devil and others aren't the devil. The devil's the devil. And so if the devil's the devil and if I were acting as the devil, I would tell you that I would love to bring division to the church. And if I were the devil and I'm not the devil and you're not the devil and others aren't the devil, I would love to bring politics to be greater than the gospel. And if I was the devil, but I'm not and you're not and others aren't, I would want to influence people to be fearful in any way possible, whether it's for their health or because of the way they look or because of how God made them. If I were the devil and I'm not the devil and you're not the devil and other people aren't the devil, the devil's actually the devil. I would try to bring division in every area of society, in families, In the church, in our country, with anyone and anywhere that I could find, I would love to bring division and tear down what is good and right in this world. That what image is God, I would attack. And so I'm not the devil, and you're not the devil, and other people are not the devil. The devil is the devil. And we need to remember that we are at war. We're in a spiritual battle, and it's heavy. We're in a series on joy, but as we look at humility today, I can't help but think of the turmoil in our world and the brokenness of every area of society and how the devil is getting what he wants in many places. And so for us today as a church, would we combat that division with humility and submitting to the foot of the cross? Because we have read before and we've looked at it before in Philippians but today we might look at it a little bit differently, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so before we get into Philippians, I want to read Ephesians 4.3 to you. And it's from the CSB, not the ESV, which many of you have been taught to think that is the most holy translation. But in the CSB, Ephesians 4.3 starts like this, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace and so as we talk today about humility, I wanna challenge you as a church family. Are you making every effort for unity? Are you making every effort to represent Christ right now, today, where you are? On your social media, on the phone, the people you interact with, are you making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit? What I love about Ephesians 4.3 is that it is past tense The spirit has already brought unity and we get to choose to be a part of it or not because what Jesus did on the cross brings unity. What he did gives us a common bond, a bond of peace that we get to celebrate we're gonna be in heaven together forever. And so as Satan wants to attack our marriages, he wants to attack our families, he wants to attack our coworkers and all our conversations and bring up all sorts of relational tension on planet earth through global pandemics and racism and fear, man, we are the church. We need to act like it. We need to keep the bond of peace as a church and as a family. So today, as we start out, with all of that said, we're going to be in Philippians 2. And so as we look at Philippians 2, 1 through 11... I personally have always thought of this passage of telling me how I should be humble and what I should do. And after diving in the last few weeks, man, it is all about being with Jesus and seeing that he will make me humble as I get closer and closer to him. If I try to go outside and it's raining and I'm trying not to get wet, I'll have an umbrella and I'll try to block myself from the rain coming down. But if I get really close to a fire hydrant and I'm trying to hold that, Umbrella to block that. By the time I get close enough, I'll be completely soaked. It's kind of what humility looks like. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I look like Jesus. The closer I get to Him, I am just soaked with Him and being like Him and not trying to block Him out for my own agenda. When I look at everything that's going on in the world right now, man, when we started this week, this has been a soul searching week. This has been a lot for me personally. A lot of my friends have been affected in many ways. A lot of those I love dearly have been affected. When I look at this week, I thought the greatest thing of division in our country would be a global pandemic on Monday. And by Tuesday, I knew very differently. And by the end of the week, and actually today as we're recording this, one of my great heroes of the faith is actually having a memorial service. Ravi Zacharias has passed away. And when in the Christian church, when the greatest apologetic person of the 21st century is having a memorial service, and it's one of the last things we're thinking about, something's very wrong in the world today. So when we look at the book of Philippians, we're looking to find our joy in Christ. I could not think of a better book for our church family to be in right now because I am looking out at the world and I don't have hope when I look at the world. I only have hope when I look at Christ. I only have joy when I look at Christ. Mm And so for us today, we're gonna to continue to dive into that. The last few weeks, we saw that Tori started us out in Philippians 1, and it was so good that Paul had to say it twice, right? And so we got all of that. We got this joy, and we got filled up. But as we dive in today, would you submit yourself to the scriptures? Not what I have to say, not what the media has to say. Would you submit yourself to Jesus? And so I'm gonna ask my friend, Renji, to read Philippians 2, 1 through 4 to get us started today. Go for it, Renji. Hey, everyone. Uh, for those of you who I haven't met yet, my name is Renji. Uh, my wife Sarah and I have been Covenant members here at The Well for the past couple of years, uh, but we just recently moved to the east side, and so now we're part of the Far East CG, led by Casey and Blair on Yekine. Uh You might sometimes see me serving on the welcome team here at The Well, uh, but for today I'll be reading Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Thanks, Renji. Really appreciate it, man. When we look at verse one right there, we see Paul is really saying, he says, if you are saved, do these things. AKA, if you're saved, you should be completing my joy. You should have encouragement. You should have affection and sympathy. This should be exciting for you. And as I look at verses one and two right there, it's a really big run-on sentence that Paul is really famous for. And it's good to see here that he's not the only one that makes mistakes or I'm not the only one when it comes to grammar, but here in the grammar, the thing that is the verb that is actually tying everything together is actually the word complete. Complete. And that our joy would be complete. And so one of the first things we have to look at today is that our joy is complete in Christ. And as we look at how Paul's joy is complete, we get to experience this joy. We get to experience this hope. But really in that, it's not about what we are doing, but about what Jesus has done. You'll notice a lot of the the verbs there, being, having, and being, There's this idea that we are already attaining this. There's nothing we can work for, but it's what Christ has done for us. Humility is not about doing. Humility is about being humble. It's an attitude of our hearts. In fact, a lot of people talk about once you start talking about humility, it's like it just went out the window. It's like you can't actually talk about it. I'm not the most humble person in the world, right? If you say you're the most humble person in the world, nobody's going to take you seriously, okay? (laughs) And so it's hard to preach on. In fact, when I was getting ready for this, I was like, this is kind of like preaching on John 3.16. It's like, everybody's heard it. It's so good. Philippians 2 is so rich. There's so much in it. I'm totally going to mess this up. And it's humbling because dependence is a result of us being humble before God. And so it's a joy to get to do that. Uh, Paul's writing to a church in Philippi. And really, for us, if you drove by it today, I've personally driven by it before in Greece. And it's really nothing, there's not a lot out there. But back then, they were actually one of the last forts or posts, if you will, that protected a gold mine. And I think it's so cool for me to think through that today is that as we're looking at the book of Philippians, and we're looking at joy, there's a gold mine of truth for us that we desperately need. And so humility for us is one of those things in that gold mine that we need to glean from the scriptures. Humility is an ego issue, really. It's an issue of the heart. It's for us surrendering our ego and saying that we're going to humble ourselves to love others well. Humility is not self-deprecating. It's not self-debasing. It's not making fun of yourself so you would appear more humble. Again, that's your action. It's not a form of being. Humility is being like Jesus. Humility is not passivity whereby we allow others to take advantage of us. That's not humility. That's just passivity. That's not walking with Christ. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking less about yourself. And so if we look at verse four, we see a huge truth that we need to take very seriously as Christians in the world we live in today. Verse four says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Church, I gotta ask you, Do you care more about being right on Facebook or having unity with brothers and sisters in Christ? Is your political agenda more important than Jesus to you? If it is, I would say you're not fully submitted to Jesus Christ as your Lord. He doesn't have whole lordship over your life. You haven't been totally overwhelmed by his grace and love. And we all battle that every single day. And we have to surrender to him over and over again. But guys, I'm on social media. Most of y'all don't care You'd rather win. I would rather win. I confess that to you as one of your pastors. I would rather win and look right to the world than be right with Jesus. And so I have to submit myself to Jesus and say, whatever my view is of whether a restaurant should be open yet or not, or whether something on the news is right or wrong, or if I as somebody that's looking on the news and saying, hey, I need evidence before I make an assumption or before I say anything, man, I'm not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This Bible has a lot to say about humility, has a lot to say about our selfish ambition. In fact, Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. I love that order justice, kindness, humility. These are connected. And just like we read in Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another is more important than yourselves or first peter 5:5 5, 5, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for god is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble i do not want to be opposed to god i want to operate out of humility and so out of humility dependence on god insecurity whatever you want to call it i called up the reserves this week i said i'm way young and I'm way white, and I want to figure out how to articulate the message of the gospel this week better. So I called two men that I look up to in the faith who actually have a combined about 85 years of ministry experience, okay? So they're way ahead of like, that'd take like six people at the well to add up to them, okay? <laughs> and I called my dad, and I called my friend, uh, Dr. Crawford Loritz, an African-American pastor that's close to our family. I called both of them, and I asked for their insight because I remember at 13 years old, sitting in a worship service and seeing my dad and Crawford on stools talk about their stories and their experience of growing up through the years of segregation in the United States. And how in Atlanta, in the early 2000s, these two men, before racial reconciliation was cool to talk about, sat on stools, and I got to see my own dad process his experience. My dad grew up in the deep south in Louisiana, And he told me stories as a kid of seeing high school boys that were white throw food at an African-American girl who was a kindergartner. He told me how that marked him and really made him want to live differently. And he shared that on stage. And to see my dad do that was encouraging and almost exciting to say, I want to be like that. And then I find myself being silent in moments where I wish I wasn't. And then I asked Crawford and and he gave me this information that was good, but then he started to share his heart too and how he prays for his sons and his grandsons. And as I look at the scriptures and I look at how Paul's telling me not to look only to my own interests, but also to the interests of others, I realize that I have an opportunity to look to the interests of others. Whether it be racism is very apparent in our country right now. No matter how you feel in the political spectrum there, or whether it's how you feel about a global pandemic, where there's fear on one side and people being mocked for not wanting to go out to a restaurant, and fear on the other side of, hey, I'm not going anywhere until there's a vaccine. Man, are we actually loving each other, church? Is there an opportunity to look like Jesus? Absolutely. And as I talked to to my dad and, and to Crawford on the phone this week, I got to understand the horrors of what they experienced, but both of them challenged me as a young pastor to say, Are you submitting to the lordship of Jesus? Is everyone in your church willing to submit to Jesus? And as they're asking me that, they're also encouraging us that, hey, church, we're actually doing a pretty good job of this when we look at the rest of the world, but we're not there yet. We don't look like the kingdom yet. We don't look like what we're gonna look like in heaven. And they both challenged me without talking to each other, and maybe they said this years ago on stage together, but they use the same analogy of a portrait that the church should be a portrait of our destination of heaven. And right now, our portrait is still being painted. It's not there yet. And we have to recognize the brokenness and sin of the world. And as we look at the scriptures today, we're reminded that we have to humble ourselves to what God is wanting to tell us today. I think about this question of, is Jesus Lord over everything? And if you haven't humbled yourself to submit to Jesus, you can do that today. You can say, Jesus, I want to submit to you. I want to follow you. Your ways are higher than my ways. I need you. And in the midst of this chaotic world, I want to put my hope in you. He's waiting for you to do that because Jesus suffered everything that we suffered. He suffered in ways that we can never even imagine, actually. And He also is with us in that suffering. Crawford reminded me too to, to look at John 13, 34 through 35, which we quote a lot or we think, hey, we're doing a good job of this, which says, a new command I give to you, this is Jesus speaking, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people know you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, the word of, of the Lord here in John 13 is saying that we get to love each other and the actual word for it in the context of that is agape. And it's a word that can't be experienced, a love that can't be experienced without supernatural interaction. It cannot originate from man. That is the kind of love that we need right now. We need a supernatural love that can only come from the cross. Crawford reminded me too, and it was great to hear, and I wanna challenge you with it, is that diversity is not about who you sit with at church, but it's who you do life with. It's not about who you sit with at church. It is about who you do life with. Don't think you're acting diverse or you're doing this or that's great. It's if you just come to the well. Are you actually a part of God's people and interacting? Are you taking a stance for those around you? Not just racially, not just socioeconomically. Are you caring for people that are dealing with the fear of coronavirus? Are you actually caring for your neighbor? Yes, I'm talking to you, church. I'm talking to Christians, people who say, yes, I am in Christ. But man, we have an opportunity to be a light to the world in incredible, incredible ways. Human dignity is a gospel issue. Justice is a gospel issue. And relational righteousness is evidence of gospel transformation. Again, the church is truly to be a prophetic picture of the destination of heaven, of the kingdom of God. And that in 2020, we don't look like that yet. The fact that some of my friends, men in our own church that are black, have to prove themselves to be safe before they are trusted in 2020 proves that we don't look like the portrait of heaven we're headed to. We have not achieved this. Jesus is the one that has achieved reconciliation. Ephesians 2 shows us that we didn't achieve it We can't achieve it. Jesus did on the cross and it's already been achieved for us. It's already accomplished. He has torn down the dividing wall for us. There's supernatural power in the supernatural love of Jesus for us to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. As a pastor, I have to think and wrestle with how I would counsel people who are coming to me, who are having issues or pain in their life. And so, I ask myself a few questions here. If somebody's coming to me, I'd say, is this person saved? What is their family history? How have they possibly been hurt by the church before? What are their expectations of meeting with a pastor today? So looking at those four questions, I would have to say, okay, I have to get to know this person. I have to listen to them. Imagine if someone came to me in turmoil over COVID and coronavirus and they're saying that they have financial struggles and they're fighting constantly at home with their spouse. Would I not want to ask questions and see if they had been hurt by the church before? Would I not want to hear their family history and see if abuse had happened anywhere there? Would I not want to be curious about who this person really is? Of course, and hopefully you would want your pastors and elders to do that, right? And I think similarly, if a woman came to us as pastors and elders and said she was being abused in the home, and she had been abused verbally and physically, and that her voice wasn't being heard. You would want me to listen. You would want me to consider the family issues and the history that happened there. And if I didn't, you'd probably say, I wasn't a very good pastor. In fact, you'd probably go to the next step and say, I'm probably not a very good Christian, right? Because I'm not acting like Jesus. Likewise, when we're pursuing unity through humility, it doesn't look like ignoring the past with the current situation. Do you know that 400 years ago, in 1619, the first African slaves were brought to Jamestown, Virginia? I grew up in Virginia. I went on many field trips to Jamestown, Yorktown. I can tell you all about the Revolutionary War. I can tell you very little about those first slaves that came to Jamestown. My mother was even a history teacher in Virginia. I knew it all. I can tell you all about U.S. history, Virginia history. But those things were cut out of a lot of history books. And so when I consider the gospel speaking to all situations and the lordship of Jesus Christ, and I'm hearing about abuse that has happened, you would want me to respond with empathy and sympathy and compassion to look to the interests of others. You'd want me to consider the family history that has been experienced. The pastor I just mentioned, Crawford Loritz, actually knew one of his great-grandfathers who had been a slave. You'd want me to consider that before I spoke, before I spoke into their situation I'm a cancer survivor. I had people speak things to me in the bouts of cancer that were so insensitive. Things I didn't want to talk about. I didn't need to hear in that moment. I needed silence. I need somebody to be there with me. I had people pray over me and lay hands on me. I didn't need it. I had actually already had a surgery. I was already cancer free. It's like, hey, you need to walk faster. That didn't help. Take time, be patient, and walk with people. Look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. This is God's word. Take it or leave it. It's between you and him. I'm just giving it to you. To live in true humility, you must know where you came from. You must know where others have come from and where you're going so that you can humbly live in the present. There is no greater picture of humility than Jesus Christ. Jesus knew where he had come from. He knew where he was headed and so he was able to live sacrificially and in, in humility. So I want to ask my friend Madison to read Philippians 2, 5 through 8 for us this morning. My name is Madison Minor. I'm a covenant community member here at the well. And I've been coming to the well for almost about three years, which is pretty awesome. Um, I lead the Brentwood group with my husband. Shout out Brentwood. And I'm going to be reading Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 this morning. Um, which are actually our marriage verses. So it's extra special. So Philippians 2, verses five through eight. Have this mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Madison. When we look at this example of Jesus Christ, he's living in a way that's so different than me. I don't do this. I don't come down to where other people are in the pain and the sinful world that they might be in. I don't recognize the brokenness of my own soul most of the time. But Jesus, the King of heaven, comes down and he's with us and he was born as a baby so that he would know everything that we've experienced, that he would feel the suffering and the pain, even the middle school years. Guys, Jesus experienced it all. And here we get to see that Jesus empties himself. And how does he do that? If you look at the text, the way he empties himself is he took on the form of a servant. And how did he humble himself? He became obedient to his father's will and not his own. This is so different than the way we do life. In fact, it says in Hebrews 4.15 that he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Do I sympathize with others' weaknesses? Whether it might be fear of coronavirus or fear of getting pulled over. Do I actually take the time to sympathize and look to the interest of others? Jesus became one of us. Man, when you look at Adam and and just man in general, but Adam in in the book of Genesis, he was made in God's image. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to exalt himself. And you have to look at Jesus. He was and is the very essence of God. He was and is the only God who's set over all. He's creator God. And he took on the likeness of man, not exalting himself, but exalting the Father. Man, Adam, in the garden was discontent by being God's servant. He had a one-on-one relationship with God, and yet that wasn't enough for him. He needed more. But Jesus assumed the form of a servant. Adam, or us, arrogantly reject God's word in sinful disobedience. Jesus submitted humbly to God's word to the point of dying on the cross. Adam, you and me, and yes, my name is Adam, and I hated being called that in kindergarten and learning center or children's church, whatever you had, because I didn't want to be associated, hey, he's the one that brought sin into the world. It was not me, it was the first Adam. But the first Adam, us, men and women, we succumbed to temptation. Jesus overcame temptation and he crushed the tempter. The first Adam brought the curse of sin on the world. Jesus took on that curse and covered us in the cross. The first Adam was condemned for sin and disgrace, but Jesus taking on our sin and humility was exalted by the Father. And that's who we get to serve. We often seek to be promoted. Jesus chose to step down. We live for our own agendas. Jesus lived for the Father's agenda. While we fight to protect what we have, Jesus was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. I want to ask you, are you really saying, as Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done, Father? When we look at how Jesus lived his life, he lived sacrificially. He lived in humility. And he did that for you and for me. And so, as we surrender to him and to his lordship and him being Lord over everything in our lives yes, your Facebook account, yes, your Instagram account, yes, your checkbook Jesus is Lord over all. Are you submitting to him with everything? And as we look at his example, we look that he did not exalt himself, but the Father exalted him to have the name that is above every name. So I want to ask my friend Osagi to close this out by reading Philippians 2, 9 through 11. What's up, guys? My name is Osagi Iswini. I'm a company member here at The Well. and I'm also a part of the Soul Lab community group in which I attend with my wife. And so I have the pleasure this morning of reading Philippians 2, Nine through eleven, um, and so the verse says at nine. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Man, God has exalted Jesus. Thank you, Asagi, for reading that. That we get to see that our King is exalted, not by his own efforts, that he's not trying to promote himself like all of us do every day and trying to win these arguments online, but that Jesus was exalted because he humbled himself, that he took on the form of a servant, and that in that, God gets the glory. That when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, that the glory even goes from Jesus to the Father, that God is glorified when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. A great pastor, Eric Mason, an author, he writes a book that says, beat God to the punch. And the whole point of the book is focused just on these verses, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Essentially, the message of the entire book is, are you gonna bow down before God makes you bow down? And the reality is that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. I don't know if you caught that. Yes, even in hell, they're going to say, dang, I missed it. He was the one. Every knee. Is your knee going to be bowed in submission to him first? As I look at this verse and as I honestly cried when I read verse 10 a few nights ago and it was just hitting me the reality of what I was watching on the news and seeing one knee bowed to bring death and destruction, I see that every knee will bow for the name of Jesus Christ. And when I look at the fact that my Jesus actually died on the cross by suffocation and that he could not breathe and that he takes on our suffering and that he suffered just as we did, I see a man who died saying, I can't breathe in the same way. And when I look at our world and the division that we're experiencing, I see that Jesus is the only one who's experienced everything. That I cannot relate in certain ways to my brothers and sisters, but Jesus can. And I can point people to Jesus over and over again. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Our Savior died publicly of suffocation at the hands of Roman officers. He has suffered in ways we can't imagine or understand. But yet he is with us, and he brings justice and triumph. Robbie Zacharias, one of my personal heroes, actually had a similar type of cancer I did, and found himself in the same doctor's office as me 10 years ago. And his cancer spread faster, and he actually ended up passing away within just two months of his diagnosis. But I stand here today marked by him and his legacy. And he sat in a bed at 17 years old in what he calls a bed of suicide. He sat there willing to give up everything and to end his life in India without any hope. Someone gave him a Bible, and he began to read. And he came to Luke 14, 19, which the second part of Luke 14, 19 says, because I live, you also will live. And he spent the next 57 years giving his life for the sake of the gospel, humbling himself in so many different ways that we'll never know even when we get to heaven. But this man spread the message of the gospel and was attacked for it, even by Christians, of where he'd go to preach and yet we see that the gospel has spread throughout the nations through this guy. And I love that his life verse is so simple for a man that was so smart. He said, because I live, you will also live. Those are the words of Jesus. And Because he lives, we also will live. If today you're thinking about the chaos of this world and you're saying, I don't see hope, hey, I'm with you. I don't see hope outside of Jesus. I don't see life outside of Jesus. And so I'm gonna challenge you to pray and surrender your life today if that's you. If you think you've been following Jesus for a long time and you just need to humbly submit yourself and bow down to him, no matter what anger you're feeling right now, no matter what frustration you're feeling, would you bow down to the lordship of Jesus Christ and recognize that you get to beat God to the punch and he doesn't have to make you kneel down but that he is worthy of us coming before him and that what Jesus did on the cross is greater than anything that any of us could have done to save ourselves. If you wanna choose to follow Jesus for the first time today, let us know we wanna walk with you in that. We wanna pray for you and encourage you that in the midst of this chaotic world that there is only one who brings hope and joy and life and his name is Jesus, that he came and lived a perfect sinless life, taking on the form of a servant, and giving up his life for you and me, and that you can follow him and love him and be loved by him and humble yourself to follow his lead, his kingship, and his lordship today. I wanna take us into a time of communion now. And so this might feel a little awkward in your home where you're at, but you might not have juice or bread or wine, whatever you wanna get right now, but if you can, would you actually pause us and pause this video, because we're gonna take a moment To just thank Jesus, to remember what he's done for us on the cross, and that his name is above every name, and that we can humble ourselves in unity and come together no matter what we think about coronavirus, no matter what you think about what's on the news, no matter what you've experienced, we all will bow because of what Jesus has done that the Father exalted him to have the name that is above every name. And so we're gonna take a moment and pause. So go get your bread, go get your juice, go get your wine, whatever you get, and come back in just a moment. We'll do communion together. Thank you guys for grabbing whatever bread or leftover pizza or whatever you just grabbed, a piece of a tortilla from last night, I don't know. But thank you for coming back to do communion with us. We want to just go to the Lord and thank him for what he's done for us. And so if you're a parent also, if you want to grab your kids and bring them in and just pray over them even during this time, that they would one day humble themselves before the Lord. And that we as a church family, as we come together in unity for communion to remember what Jesus has done for us, would we continue to be unified and humbled before the foot of the cross? That we would find humility in unity, in humility, and that we would continue to live that out. And so we remember what Jesus has done for us. We remember that his body was broken for us. We remember that his blood was shed for us. And so we thank him for his sacrifice in giving us new life, that because he lives, we might also live. We thank you, Jesus. Father in heaven, I thank you that you have exalted Jesus' name above every name, that he has the most beautiful name. And so as we worship you in spirit and in truth, and as we worship you, Jesus, for your sacrifice for us on the cross, we thank you for your example, that you did not exalt yourself in your own agenda, but you exalted the Father's agenda, and that in that he exalted you you became obedient to the point of death on a cross and you humbled yourself to take on the form of a servant. Would we remember your sacrifice for us and would we look not only to our own interests but also to the interests of others? I pray for our church family to be unified at the foot of the cross. We love you, Jesus, and we give you this time of worship. In Jesus' name.